Welcome to the Multitask. This is John. And it's your boy Fighters from Vegas. You know, uh, in many ways, one of the things that uh, we love about this pod is we call it the multitask. And we call it the multitask for a reason, because you got to multitask. But I think as we wrapped up last week's pod, knowing that the indictment had happened, knowing that Trump was going to court, that we weren't going to be multitasking today. We were, we, we, we probably knew that we were going to be taking the Trump indictment, diving into the Trump indictment, diving into the Trump indictment. But no, the news gods had a different thing. And they decided to say, hey, John, Fadi, keep the show to its original name, the multitask, because boy, did they throw a lot our way this week. So um, I can flow any way you want to go, but I'll leave it to you. What is the first item? Normally we would have been Trump, 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 but the news gods had a different take. So uh, I th- we got to make sure we cover it all. And that's, the tough thing is that we probably can't go as deep on any of them that we want to because there's a lot to cover. But what would you like to lead with this week? I think here's what I'll say. I think the most important story of the week was it was Trump, but it was probably <laughs> it was probably Tennessee. I think maybe let's start Tennessee. We could pivot. Uh, we could pivot to Trump if that works. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, I it has to be Tennessee. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, if you're living under a rock, um, this week um, the uh, Tennessee House. Uh, attempted to expel three Democrats, two younger African-American men and, a, and an older white woman. And they uh, did the only thing worse than expelling all three. They only expelled the black guys, which is worse. I said that on Thursday night when 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 um, the, uh, I forget her last name, I think it's uh, Representative Johnson, when she was not uh, expelled, I said to myself, oh, shit. The only thing worse than expelling all three would be the only expel the two black guys. Um, wow, it was great. What, what was your reaction to to the whole thing? We'll, we'll dive a little bit more into the detail, but what was your reaction to uh, the, the 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 shenanigans going on down in Tennessee? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, John, because um, as you know, before I used the shade room as my litmus, litmus test, and this definitely made the shade room, but I'm not. I'm not sure what it made the shade room if they kicked out all three, right? Like you said, right? I don't know if this is as big of a story to everybody else. I think it's a big we, – we knew this was coming. There was going to be a vote, and we knew that, and we thought it was despicable. But I'm not sure it blew up to what it was if if it was all three. And also, if the white, if the white member wasn't her, right? It could have been some old dude that wasn't on their back, but she's the one who first said it. Oh, it's because – our skin color is different, right? Also, John, shout out to anybody who this would have happened to, but those two members, I think Pearson and Jones, if I'm not mistaken, they <laughs> I don't mean to make the, the, the comparison, but they sure knew how to talk. And I'm not sure if they took a, a class or something, but they were really good orators. And like borderline on, it felt like me watching a, a a civil rights documentary from the sixties. They were incredible. And maybe as you know, we grew up in, in Illinois with, with Barack and he was, if not probably the greatest at that, but if you just come across somebody who's not as good, right. Uh, I don't know if this blows up even as much as it would, right. They made incredible speeches on the floor and then they went outside and were interviewed and made incredible speeches there. And both all four of those things went viral um, to talk about Republicans. Boy, um, 
this is who they are, right? This is who they are. But more importantly, I think they're not going to really like where this is going. What I mean by that is I'm not sure we flip Tennessee, right? But this just adds to the national conversation of how extreme Republicans are. And John, as you know, 2020 and 2022 and all the special elections along the way were referendums on how extreme Republicans were. I'm not sure that people were voting 22 and 20 for Democrats as much as they were voting anti-Republicans. And this is going to add to that. This will be, John, this will be part of the 24 conversation. When people are running in 2024, this will be part of the conversation. Because you're going to add this with everything that's happening with Trump, with everything that's happening with McCarthy, and all of a sudden you're just going to link everybody together. Um, Also, one last thing, and we learned this kind of in Illinois this week with the mayoral race, but people credit young people for the 2022 election and the 2020 election. Now, let me say this first. Democrats, established Democrats, are the leaders of this party. The old school black women, black men who are voting Democrats for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Those are the reasons. Those are the, the people who cause Democrats to win election. But young people are able to push us over the edge now, right? 2022, people saw the right of the right for uh, the right of choice for women be taken away and they showed up to the election. And then look what's happening in Tennessee was all young people on the, on the floor, young people who aren't able to vote yet um, on the floor, protesting, screaming. And Republicans are questioning why they're losing elections with young people. And this is why, and Republicans are not going to learn from this. So um, I know I talked a lot, but my, my whole thing from that was they've alienated basically anybody over on, under 24 from voting against them. And, and so I'm, I'm happy with that. I think it's a good sign. It's a good sign of the health of this country. Yeah. You know, what, one of the things, um, and I'm going to uh, pull back, uh, you know, from like the, the political implications. Well, the political implications are going to be obvious to me, you know, when we talk about this, but um, did you get the opportunity to watch any of the proceedings um, live? I did. Did you did you get to see them? Not live, no. So 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 it was, it was a funny day. So what they did was I remember turning on CNN that morning and CNN saying, "Oh, they're gonna in an hour they're gonna vote." Well, again, you know, to remove the uh, whether or not they're gonna remove the the legislators. And so, sure enough, they got gaveled in. But and and the crowd, you know, when when the three of them, when the Tennessee three walked into the chambers as they were going, there was like a you know, large crowd in the rotunda or whatever the gathering space is outside the the hall, and they were loud, they were boisterous, they were you know they were chants, they were doing all this stuff, and um, <laughs> and they come in, you know, they they walked in together, and I turn and so I went I went on YouTube and I found the live stream. And I'm watching the live stream, and I noticed they're not voting on them. And that's when um, uh, I think it's Justin Jones stood up and said, oh, you're trying to tire the people out. See, what happened was the Republicans' initial plan was to not vote on the expulsion immediately because they wanted to have it be as late in the day as possible in hopes that the crowd would dissipate and get tired and leave and, and, and they would be able to, you know, whatever. And that did not happen. So, uh, fast forward, (laughs) the opposite happened. So, so, so then now it finally, you know, they get to the point and now it's like 
three in the afternoon or two in the afternoon. And I'd been watching since nine o'clock. I did not have a productive day. Um, and so they are just, you know, it was a kangaroo court. There were no, t- I mean, if, if this was a legitimate court of law, everything that the Republicans did that day would be thrown out, reversed on appeal and everything. Cause they broke so many rules or rules or so many inconsistencies, et cetera. I could, I mean, we could go and do an entire episode on that craziness. But the funniest thing was, it was Justin Jones who went first. Um, he got to defend himself, and then there was like where members got to stand up and question him or make statements, and he was able to respond to each one. And you know that he was airing out the entire room. He was telling people about themselves. It's like the time you did this, and this member did that. And like at one point, there was one, and I'm not sure if he was Indian or Middle Eastern, a Republican member, the only non-white member of the, of the House Republicans, who was upset that um, that and tried to make Justin Jones look racist and said, "You called me a brown face." He goes, "Yeah, I called you a brown face of white supremacy." Sit down. I mean, he literally was just firing on everybody. At one point, somebody said something, and he goes, "Well, basically, you just called me an uppity Negro." And I said to myself. And this was just the first one. I didn't get, because then I had to go to an event, so I didn't get to really watch the second or third one. But I was laughing because I'm like, do the do the Tennessee Republicans realize that a lot of people are watching and seeing this? And to your now getting to your point about the political considerations, I don't think they realized what they were doing from the standpoint of the imagery that was being put out there. And this stuff's going to live in infamy. And these guys are, I mean, they just it literally, and it, it was Tennessee as the South, but to put it best is um, you would not believe, it just, it looked to me like those, what we would assume the trials were that led to the lynching of black men in the South in the 50s, right? It was, it was, I mean, it was just, and you know, Oh, it it was horrible. But um, as I said, you know, one of the things that was um, fascinating was the way that they just turned these guys into heroes. They turned them into heroes. They're legends. And let's get, let's, you know, we're not bearing the lead. They did it all for nothing. Because at least Justin Jones looks like he's going to return. Now, I understand that Memphis is possibly not going to be as strong as, you know, a guarantee of returning uh, Justin Pearson, but it seems like Justin Jones is definitely coming back. Yeah, John, the part of the problem is um, sometimes I don't think I'm this is not my conversation to have, but you can chime in and correct me as I go because I'm not the smartest, but I don't think that Sometimes people talk about how white people don't really understand how racism, how racist they could be at times. I don't think that the white members of of the floor knew how bad it looked until much later. All it looked like on TV was a bunch of white men yelling at two young black guys and kicking them off. And people don't people don't respond like. It wasn't the, the the people don't care about the vote. People don't care about the expulsion. It was just like what it appeared to look like was a massive. It just looked like the even the even the camera. It just looked weird. It looked like the sixties all over again. 
And I just don't think they really understood it. Now, they were on CNN the next day trying to justify it. And, and they I don't think they expected the backlash. That it, they just thought it's Tennessee. It's a red state. Nobody's going to care. These guys are nobodies. Like you said, to, to your credit, they're not nobodies anymore. And the vice president came in not 12 hours later, started yelling at everybody. And shout out to them because they, they, they really stepped in to try to protect them. I, look, I, I hope both of them get their jobs back or, or their, I wouldn't say jobs, their elected um, seats back as they justifiably, justifiably should have. But I wouldn't be surprised if Biden and the administration brings them in on something, a special project, um, take someone on a national tour to say, look what's happening. Um, that would be the smart thing to do because to keep the conversation going is the most most important thing, I think. Um, let me ask you a question, John. Do you, I always like to think that people will pay their price. I don't necessarily have – after Uvalde, I don't really have the faith in, in the voter base to do the right thing. But if this doesn't matter in Tennessee, do you think it matters in other places that, that maybe they underestimated? <sighs> It's hard to say. I I think that um, it will definitely. It's going to matter everywhere. It could matter in Tennessee. Um, Tennessee is a deep red state, but when you look at Memphis, when you look at Nashville, I'm not sure about any other metropolitan areas. um, Those are Democratic bastions. Um, If if the Republicans, you know, Democrats don't even have to take back the House and Senate in in Tennessee, they can just literally rid the Republicans of their supermajority, right? Um, if And on top of it, you know, as you said, going into 24, is there energy there? And to your point, another point about elsewhere is even if we only make marginal strides in Tennessee, are there, are there some Republican state legislators members of Congress, senators, who will be negatively impacted by the Republicans' actions. I don't, I, I think that could very well happen. That could very well happen. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things where, um, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. Your thoughts. Well, I was going to, I was going to say Wisconsin, right? Because we'll talk about it. But Wisconsin had a race this week in which Republicans were going to impeach. I I don't actually know because I caught it late and there was so much other news. But Republicans were trying to impeach Democratic or there was threats of impeaching Democratic lawmakers for winning or whatever the case may be. You could update me if you remember. But and now it seems like they're backed off, right? The Democrat won the race. And all of a sudden they backed off. And even the most extreme Republicans in that place were saying, hmm, I don't know if we could do this just on, based on the, the Tennessee thing, right? So maybe maybe if elected officials in Tennessee don't lose their seats, but maybe it stops other places and other state legislators just because of the backfiring that happened here. Also, John, one thing that I think I was reading this week is interesting, but there was a pollster who was talking about the – the voter from 18 to 24, which is the least likely person to vote, they register, but they don't vote. That person who was voting for Obama in 08, that 18 to 24-year-old, is now the 35-year-old and 40-year-old. And that that age bracket is much more democratic than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. 
the Parkland crowd, who was 12 to 16, are now 18 to 24, and they're much more democratic than the 18 to 24-year-old of the past. And then now look at Tennessee, and you look at the House floor or, or the floor, and you see nothing but kids yelling F you fascists at Republican lawmakers. And that 16-year-old, that 15-year-old is going to be 18 to 24 in the 2024 election or the 2026 midterms. They're going to be much, much more Democratic um, than the past. And I think Republicans are – we talked about this before. I don't think they're trying to gain voters. I just think they're trying to hold on to the voters that they have by becoming more extreme. But – they are running the risk, if not already done it, of not being able to secure the young vote ever again. Now, you might get the white man, especially the white male at 18 or 24, maybe the the, the white women who vote for Republicans. But what I guess what I'm trying to say is this is the backlash that they face, right? It might not be losing their seats, but it might be the next 30 to 40 years of the 18 to 24 year old crowd realizing that Republicans are extreme, insane, and they'll never vote for them. And this goes back to what we were talking about with national politics, which the electorate is changing. Republicans cannot, cannot gain voters. And so we just have to continue to do the work. And I think that's the backlash that they'll face is they're losing that voter or they lost it already. Right now, you know, we, we, I, I know we're going to have to move on from Tennessee in a minute, but I want to uh, go back and make one other piece and um, that I think needs to be said. Say something needs to be said. I'm not sure if folks caught MVP Harris's, Madam Vice President Harris's speech at Fisk University. It's available on YouTube, about 22 minutes. And um, it was probably her best speech. Now, the reason why I'm saying that this is really relevant, first of all, it's always relevant when either the president or the, or the vice president speaks. It's always relevant when they do certain things. But I will tell you, depending on what her future holds, um, one, just, you know, burnishing her credentials as a vice president and maybe setting herself up for president. Last night was her speech to do it. She, I'm not sure. Did you, I, you may have seen clips. Have you seen the whole speech yet? Not the whole thing. I caught clips, yeah. Dude, I was getting chills. Um, she was comfortable. Um, she knew how to play the crowd. Um, it was fiery. It was a stem winder. And as we look at her career, um, it, as it's in progress, I guarantee you that when her, um, when retrospectives are placed on her standing as vice president, even if she runs for president, that speech will be one of the ones. I mean, it was amazing. And so now what are the political implications? The Republicans are giving the Democrats issues. And you and I both first and foremost know that Kamala, Vice President Harris, is a rock star already. But um, for any number of reasons, it's very easy for people to dismiss or deny it. They're giving her, and last night they gave her a platform where a lot of people who should support her who are lukewarm to her, maybe a little indifferent, they're going to go from lukewarm to ride or die with her. It was that good of a speech. But to your, it, 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 but it speaks to just the idiocy of the opportunities that this crazy-ass um, maneuvers that they're doing are opening up for, for Democrats. And just, look, but I, I did a, I'm not sure if you caught it yesterday. I did a, um, a tweet thread 
about the importance of the establishment. You know how oftentimes, in whether it's Democratic or Republican politics, especially upstarts, new faces, people who are not necessarily in control of their party, they talk about the dreaded establishment. If you look at what's happening with the Republican Party right now, that's why you need to have an establishment. In the Democratic circles, the establishment probably still is the Biden, Clinton, Obama nexus, which, as we know, um, I, I'm ride or die with, but I could see where it turns some folks over. But those are the old heads. Those are the old heads that, and in the case of Barack, not so old, but those are the, and, and Kamala, not so old. Those are the old heads that when the party's getting loose, when people are acting out, they can say, now, 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 you know, let's get back on track. You know that that's what's hurting Republicans. There's no one in a Republican camp that can come out and say to the uh, House members in Tennessee, man, slow your roll, you're going to cost us something, right? If there was an establishment, a viable, credible establishment in the Republican Party, this would not be happening because someone would, could, could reel them in and rein them in and say, man, what you're doing is costing us. And so I really do think that what's happening in Tennessee is, and let me show you something about establishment. I want you to, if you can, watch the video of the actual incident when the three legislators walked up and took over the um, House. One of the things that you saw, one of the things that uh, I picked up on was two or three of the older black legislators were chewing them out. And remember how I mean, this, you know, they were chewing the, the, they're now riding or die with these kids and they're defending them, but they were chewing them out. Why were they chewing them out? Were they against them? Were they not believe what they believe? No, I think they, they completely support them, but they're older experienced saying, guys saying, do you realize what you're doing now? We'll defend you if these, if these assholes come for you, but you're making life tough on yourself. Now, you know, some people might say that's respectability politics or what have you. And you know, Justin and Justin did what they did, and now those same people who were chewing them out are, are defending them. And I, I say that what I'm saying is there's no one in the Republican Party to chew out the people, you know. And, and you, you understand the, the, the utility of the chewing out. You know, it might not stop them. You don't, you don't want to take away their spirit, their energy. And you, ultimately, they did what they did, and they're paying a price for it. But at the least, there's somebody in that in that caucus who's saying, do we really want to be doing this? Right? I'm talking about the Democratic caucus, right? Do you realize that nowhere in the Republican caucus from, you know, Trump or McCarthy, maybe McConnell, and would you agree, maybe of the two people, McConnell is the one kind of voice of reason, like, are we going to, you know, let's consider our access type. So I'll, I'm tossing it to you. But do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when they when the old heads who are defending them now chewed them out, they were trying to be a voice of reason. There are no voices of reason within the Republican Party. Well, John, there's no reason in the Republican Party, so there can't be voices of reason in the Republican Party. I do agree with everything you said. McConnell, McC but I think McConnell's intentions are evil when he does it. I think he says, hey, this is going to cause so much attention. I believe in what you're doing, but it's going to cause so much attention. Let's figure out a different way. I think the Democratic side is always, hey, there's a better way to go about this. Can you just chill and we'll figure it out? Um, but I do want to push back on one thing, John. 
there isn't a Republican establishment. They just believe in this. They want this. They want the chaos. They support this. MTG, Boebert, that's the Republican establishment. It's it's not McConnell Graham. Yeah, but, but here's a question. Is there is there does that establishment have enough uh Bonavides to if they thought that the guys in Tennessee were getting loose to rein them in? Is there anyone that can rein in the folks in Tennessee? Is what I'm talking I'm talking about the Republicans in Tennessee. Is there anyone that can say, Hey man, you're costing us you're costing the party big time? Would they listen? Is what I'm saying. That that's what I'm trying to say, John. They they don't want to rein it in. They they just see it. But I'm, and... I'm saying if they wanted to, I'm saying if they wanted to, could they? No, no, they couldn't because I just don't. There is anybody who wants to rein it in. I, I know I'm, I know what you're asking, and I totally get it. What I'm saying is they they want the chaos now. I think it's a chicken or the egg, right? I think Tennessee did this for no reason, but but attention. I think Tennessee did this to put people in their place that they thought they were doing. And that's what they thought. It's like pleasing dad, right? It's like they did it to um, match the Republicans' energy on on the national scale. Uh, they could have censored them. They could have ridden them up. They could have suspended. They could have did so many things that would have flew under the radar that nobody would have noticed. It would have not been a news story. But they said, no, let's do the most extreme thing possible. And... And that's and they're paying the cost for it now. I, I understand your premise. I guess what I'm saying is, you said there's no voices of reason. There's just no reason. There is no moderate. There is they phased them all out. Kinzinger and Cheney, which we don't consider moderate. We don't particularly consider moderate, but who are kind of center right Republicans who are saying, "Hey, man, we used to just be about immigration and law and order, and now we've just gone way over the board." Um, They've gotten rid of all of those Republicans, right? And now it's just everyone has to out-extreme each other. And Tennessee is just their, their turn at the wheel this week. This is what we're doing, right? Um, yeah, I just think they see Donald Trump. I'm going to tie this to Donald Trump in this way. They see legally, justifiably going at, us going after Trump because he broke laws they see that as political. They don't think that he should be arrested for the Stormy Daniels thing, January 6th thing, Mar-a-Lago. They don't see him as he should face any punishment. So when we go, when when lawmakers go after Donald Trump, their retaliation is because most Democrats don't do crimes like the Republicans do. Or what I mean is by Democratic elected officials, sorry. Don't do crimes like the Republican elected officials do. That they see this as their payback. Right, people are like, "Well, you guys impeach Trump, we're going to impeach Biden." It's just a tick for tack, and that's what Tennessee is about to me. Is it's not lost on me that the same week, obviously, that Trump was arrested, that they start going after Democrats in this way. It's not linked directly in that way, but I think it is on a national scale. If that makes sense. Right now, one of the things I'm going to transition to Trump, but I want to do something real quick, and even if we forget, and and maybe you know, we almost had to, we should have set up in a, in a show prep a lightning round, but just so you know, we're going to Trump, but we need to talk about Clarence Thomas's bullshit. We need to talk about we need to talk about the abortion drug ruling. Uh, I know Musk. I'm missing a few other things here, huh? Musk doing so, Musk is wilding out, but uh, we're just going to put this out there. I mean. Dude, we may have to come back on Monday and just do a second episode because there's, there's just, as, as they say on the internet, the tea is hot. But mm -hmm. let's, so that we, so we go to the other 
But I don't know if it's really the other big story. There's other other big stories with an S. But the the one that we anticipated this entire episode to be about is Donald Trump has been arraigned. Donald Trump has been arrested. Donald Trump has been fingerprinted. Donald Trump has had to sit at the defendant's table in a criminal case already, and he will be back. So your reaction, your reaction, your reaction. I'll tell you this. I never got to see the Bronco chase, but this was my Bronco chase. When they were following the caravan on the FDR and the George Washington or whatever it was, um, I love that. Shout out to the – they lost them under a bridge and then they found them. It was great watching that. Um, I, I love that stuff from a from a, um, a logistical standpoint. So shout out to uh, – I just love watching that. Um, what a day. It was very – I know you, you say, are we ready for it? And we talked about this. I don't want to rehash that, but – I was smiling the entire time. I love the fact that there was people all over just waiting for him to come out of the hotel. I love the fact that nobody opened the door for him and slapped him in the face. I love the fact that there was a picture of him just looking stupid in the courtroom next to his lawyers. Um, I loved everything about this. The only thing I didn't love was December the, the 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 next case is December, just a whole year basically, where we have to wait. So I kind of hate that part, but um, I loved every part of this. Thirty five felonies or thirty four felonies, whatever it is. Um, I loved the, the fact that the judge was pissed off about the tweet. Um, There's nothing to me that was better than than this. I think this is a slam dunk case. There's a lot of people who believe that um, he'll slither out of this, but I don't know. Like I just feel like they have him, and then so. This was really fun to watch. Well, let me let me uh, take care of it and address your upset about December fourth um, already. If this was his only case, I'd ride with you on that. <laughs> but but you realize, um, as someone said, you know, there's a and we haven't even talked about this one. It's the E. Jean Carroll case where she's accused him of rape and suing him for defamation. That case will be probably done by May. And by May, we will have, you know, it was not a criminal case, but it's going to be a civil case that's pretty much going to say he raped a woman, right? Um, And he's going to have to pay a significant amount of money. So, and then don't forget, was it you or someone else told me, Fawny Willis is probably next on the docket by by the first week of May. Um, And then Jack Smith. So what I'm telling you is I don't think the fact that they're not coming back to, and here's the funny thing, you know, and we probably need to bring an, a, a criminal defense attorney on. I don't, you know, the, I think Bragg was up against, although I've heard conflicting information and this is where our law and order SVU law degrees probably fail us. But I think Bragg was up against the um, the statute of limitations. So he had to get him charged. Had to get him charged. Um, might there, I could see where at some point in time, the judges, the, the prosecutors will look and say, well, the good news is, and I'm talking about now Georgia and, um, and the feds. Well, he doesn't have to go back to New York to December 4th. So we can put our stuff in between there. And I'm just telling you is I don't think we have to wait until December 4th. I think that there's going to be things happening in the other cases that, put it this way, 
the man has so much legal exposure, he might not be able to get back to New York until December 4th. And so, and so what I'm telling you is that don't fret because I'm assuming that we are not going to be sitting here waiting like this until December 4th. I'm sure that when it comes to Trump and his legal issues that we do not need to wait in this particular case. And don't forget, just because New York charged him first doesn't mean that they try him first. You know, these are all based upon whatever the Fed schedule is, whatever Georgia's schedule is, um, all sorts. So you could see, you could considerably see that um, by December 4th, the other legal challenges that the man faces, and don't forget, there's members of Congress that are suing him for January 6th as well. And so I'm just telling you, as a Trump, as we, because we're not yet, but as we all become, and well, let's use a phrase, maybe we should even get the website, Trump court watchers. As Trump court watchers, I don't think that we are going to be sitting here sad that they're, and, and bored waiting until December 4th. Your thoughts? Yeah, agreed. Also, just he's gonna, there's going to be more. There's going to be more drama no matter what, right? Um, but my point about December 4th is this, is, is all right, He's he was arrested in March, let's call it, and the court date is not till December. Let's say Georgia happens in May and that court date is not till February, right? Like what I'm saying is his game plan is, there's only one game plan, John, is for him to win the presidency one way or the other. And for him to kind of, all this stuff will be swept under the rug because they're not going to arrest the sitting president. That's his plan. So my, my point is, if even this small case, which I consider small compared to what he's facing, if 35 felonies, John, is the, is the least, <laughs> is the smallest scale case that he's facing right now. If that case is going to take multiple years, imagine something like January 6th or the Georgia case, which are much more uh, hefty and in stakes. That's going to take even longer, right? Trump is famous for delaying, delaying, delaying for years and years and years. There's stuff that he delays for seven, eight, a decade. And I'm fine with that, right? I'm fine with that because that's what that's what's going to happen. My only worry is is the election, right? What if he's on the ballot in 24 with four pending cases and he wins? Do I think he'll win? No. Do I think he'll be the candidate? Yes. But my point is, what if he does win? Because I didn't think he would win in 2016, so I don't want to underestimate him. But what if he wins and he says, all right, all this stuff is gone now? Um, I don't know if that works. We need a legal expert. This is unprecedented times. Um, but that's my only worry is I want I want someone to put him in jail before 24. Here's the funny thing, though, uh, that I think, uh, and again, this might be a, a lawyer. You know, sometimes in civil cases, you might be able to, as a, as a defendant or participant in one of the cases, you might have a little bit of um, control over the schedule. Um, if you if you got popped for shoplifting, you wouldn't be able to tell the judge, "Hey, yo, man." I got some editing to do next week, uh, so can we go to next week? I wonder, you know, someone said, well, you know, these cases, he'll be on the campaign trail. I just don't, that, you should, you could, you should be able to be a candidate 
for president while you're under under um, in trial, so to speak. However, you shouldn't be able to say, yo, man, I got a rally in Paducah I got to go to. And so what I'm saying is, I hope that they're not going to sit there, and again, I don't know. I hope they're not going to sit there and say, you know what? He's got campaign rallies next week. We're not going to. No, I would like to think this is a criminal case. There's a whole bunch of people sitting at 26 in California, in Chicago. For those of you not from Chicago, that is Cook County Jail. There's a bunch of people sitting in Rikers Island right now who can't say, yo, man, I got a recording session. I can't, I can't be there. I just, I, I, I don't. I might be wrong, but I just can't imagine that judges and prosecutors will say, well, he's got a campaign rally. He can't be here. What are your thoughts? These are criminal cases. Might be different if they were civil, but these are criminal cases. No, I totally hear you. I totally get it. Um, I'm going to take this angle not from the court state, but from the other, the other angle. I'll tell you what, though. If I'm DeSantis, I'm setting up. I'm setting up a debate on December 4th. That's what I'm doing. And much later with Biden, I'll start doing stuff all the day he's supposed to appear in court just to make him look even even worse. Look, John, there's a lot of there's a lot of delays and there's a lot of time in the court system. I totally get it. Um, I'm just worried that he'll pass the buck enough where he doesn't face accountability. Or, or he, someone asked me today, John, and I don't mean to put this on anybody, and I'm, I feel stupid even saying this, but someone said, is he going to get out of this? I said, he might just get out of this because he's 95 years old and he just passes away from natural causes before he sees a jail cell, right? Because that's how good he is at delaying stuff. Um, but you're right, right? Like, this is criminal. It's not so, like he was able to set a little bit of a, a boundary, right? He's, they wanted him to come in on Friday. He's like, no, I'll come in next week. We got to figure some stuff out. So he does have some leeway just because he's a former president and he has secret service and there's just much more logistical things that have to happen. Um, but if I'm his opponent, I'm definitely scheduling stuff for that day. Like if I'm DeSantis, I'll visit a child adoption agency on December 4th, just to show the juxtaposition of what I'm doing that day and Donald Trump. And then later on, Biden obviously uh, can take it, take it to his advantage as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's, we will see. It will be fascinating, but you know, uh, I think one of the things too is, and we, you know, we we just went around it's kind of the sizzle, but the case itself, thirty-four felony charges. Um, there's also uh, something in there about the fact that he allegedly paid off a doorman thirty thousand dollars to keep the to not tell people that he has a child that's not his or that's a, a child that is his. I'm sorry, somewhere in the country. Um, you know, I do wonder, um, you know, they do, they didn't go for a gag order. I, I, I kind of hate the fact, and, and we, we, I do think that this whole thing is still the problem that I'm running into is he is being held accountable, but he's still not being held accountable from the standpoint of how he's going through the system. Uh, you know, other people who have faced 34 felonies, I think they go to the system a lot harder than that. You know, Mike Madigan here in Illinois, um, Alderman Burke here in Chicago, uh, they're both been charged and they're still not, so to your point, their cases haven't been heard. But um, I don't know. If people are ready to go, they're ready to go. We'll, we, we will see. Um, you know, the whole thing that his son did with posting photos of the judge's daughter, I mean, I do think that 
to your point about December 4th, I do think that he will wild out enough that he might not have to wait until December 4th to be back in front of that judge. I could see something where he summons, you know, and, you know, he's got to go. Um, I, you know, one of the things I found fascinating when there was talk about him not surrendering um, and maybe having to be extradited. Um, and it's weird because I'm sure there are people in the Secret Service who are saying to themselves, we never anticipated we'd have these type of questions. But um, he's guaranteed Secret Service protection for life. But what are they supposed to do if he's in open violation of the law? And what do I mean by that? What are they supposed to do if he is supposed to turn himself in and he doesn't? Are they allowed to drive him? Are they allowed to protect him? I mean, because then you're aiding and abetting a crime. Now, what's funny is I'm asking these questions. I'm wondering if in the Secret Service they have the answers and they're like, or if they're like, I don't know. We've never had this happen. Um, that alone should just tell people, you know, something's wrong. But it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the Republicans. And I think what's really bad and what's wrong in this country right now is we should not, we should not, it should not be lost on us that Donald Trump is not the problem. Donald Trump having the audacity to run for president while he's under now criminal indictment, at least one, and maybe two more. That's not the problem. It's the people who look at him under criminal indictment and say, oh, I'm still going to vote for him. He's still, and that's, that's, the, that's, that's one of our two, two political parties. That is the problem. And we have to quit acting like, oh, we'll let the people speak. Yeah, but the fact that the people see a man under criminal indictment and are not rejecting him is a problem to me. Well, John, he said it himself. I could go down Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and his polls would go up and he would be absolutely right. Um, That's his voter base. Um, You said something, and maybe I'll transition natural here, but correct me if I'm uh, going too fast, but you said something about Don Jr. posting the judge's daughter because... So what they're implying was that Bragg's daughter was volunteered for, or I don't know what her capacity was. No, not Bragg. It was a, it was a, it was the judge's daughter. Not the Bragg. judge's daughter. Sorry, uh, the judge's daughter in some capacity is a volunteer for the Biden Harris campaign. I got a story for Republicans. I think they're going to think is even worse than this. How about a judge who takes bribes from elected officials and goes on private tours and private planes across? very fancy places all over this country. If you think the judge's daughter makes the judge working for a campaign makes the judge bias, then let me tell you about this guy named Clarence Thomas and everything he's doing, right? The hypocrisy of the Republican Party, John, they're, they're going to try this because they have no other way. They're just going to throw stuff at the wall so something sticks, nothing sticking, nothing will ever stick when it comes to this, um, but they need to say it. Um, the judge's daughter working for the campaign... I understand how someone might be like, eh, it's a little weird, but we'll see how it goes. But then, how, well, then you can't say silence about Clarence Thomas then. So they have to pick and choose which, which one they want to believe in. And, but I know, obviously, they're hypocritical, so they're never going to do the right thing. Yeah, no, they're, they're never going to do the right thing. But, you know, it, it's... 
I sometimes wonder, and I say this as you know, I'm outrageously political, um, and I even have thrown my own hat now in a ring and have have run for office. But one of the things that I think is really tough is that we look at almost too much through a political prism. One, going back to the point I just made about Trump being a front runner even though he is under criminal indictment. That, as I said, is a problem. And I think that we're so focused on the political ramifications, we're not talking about the moral ramifications, the moral implications. Um, too often we've seen people who... Um, are held to one standard when they're poor black and are accused of stealing a backpack, Khalif Browder, and you're held in, you're held in solitary confinement for 700 days. And as a result of that experience, uh, you spiral and you end up ultimately killing yourself. And we see another where you have a man who is credibly accused of um, 34 felonies on just one case. And he's able to turn himself in at his own leisure. He's able to walk out with any kind of, just trust me, the 35, the 34 felonies that he's accused of are 10,000 times more damaging to public and the public trust than the alleged stuff of a backpack that Khalif Browder had. And to go and say, you are accused of stealing a backpack, you've got a stick in Rikers, but you're accused of 34 felonies here, go ahead and run for president. And we're going to use the fact that you're running for president or people will be allowed to use the fact that you're running for president uh, for some level of special treatment. Make it make sense. Uh, white supremacy, John. That, that's how I make it make sense. The system is built for them. They skirt around the rules, not only legally, but financially with, with the collapses of Italian economies and nobody facing um, consequences um, just across the board, John. He has a private jet that he could summon at his own will, and he, there's, he's not considered a flight risk. He has ties to uh, Russia and the Chinese bank account, and they don't consider him a flight risk. Now, I understand, right? Some of this is um, he's a former president. He deserves some sort of special treatment. I'm not against that, right? Logistically, he just, he just has baggage that you need to handle. But it's not just Khalif, right? It's Garner, who allegedly was selling loose cigarettes. Or um, Michael Brown, who was allegedly... like. There's just a lot of too much allegedly. But not only that, John. Let me give, come at this from a different angle. There's a story this week that a police officer was caught planting evidence um, in a car, like drugs in a car. We know that that, that happens amongst black and brown communities all the time. That they'll put stuff, they think you're guilty, they catch you, there's nothing there, so they put something there to take you to jail. The opposite is happening here. We have somebody with undeniable proof that committed crimes, not only in New York, but in Georgia. There's a phone call, right? Um, The Mar-a-Lago case, he literally lied to them and said there's no files here, and they went and found files. And about 30% of the electorate and every single Republican is saying, this is made up. Like, so in one case, a police officer plans something and somebody has to spend 10, 15 years in jail for it. 
And then here we have somebody clearly who committed crimes and people just don't believe he did anything. So there's a double standard as well, just to go along with the double standard that you mentioned. Yeah, it's it's tough. Now, I'm going to pivot away from Trump off to under something you already hinted on was this week we learned that Clarence Thomas um, went ahead and has been living high in the hog at the expense of a billionaire who, you know, it's weird because I'm friends with a lot of elected officials, some of whom I knew before they were elected, some I knew I, I found, you know, I became friends uh, after. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of rules about ethics. But when you look at basically how much Clarence Thomas is thumbing his nose in the face of doing anything that's reasonably ethical, it's infuriating, right? Uh, I think they said that um, the cost of just a trip to Indonesia was $500,000, and he didn't have to pay a dime. Um, now, they'll, he'll make claims, and, and the, both him and the, the billionaire have made claims that uh, this guy has never, ever put a case in front of him, had a case in front of him. But it sure is suspicious. Um, for those of you who don't uh, know, we're talking about ProPublica this week, uh, did an extensive investigation into um, Clarence Thomas's relationships with this billionaire donor who has just literally just lavished him for the better part of the last 25 years. So what, what was your reaction when, when you saw that? Uh, just not surprised. It's, it, you, you said the right word, right? It's infuriating because I'm not sure if this is against the, the rules. Like, it, it's, I guess it, this is a judge, right, John? He's like the highest judge in the land. I think he knows how to get around rules, right? So he came out and said, this kind of stuff they told me not to disclose. Like, I didn't have to disclose it. So what are you talking about? Like, that's his, that's his excuse was they said I didn't have to disclose this stuff. Um, I believe that he won't face punishment and consequences for this because he might have not broken a rule. Um, that's what's infuriating is this is clearly a violation. This is clearly a rule break, even though the rules are very great for that reason. Um, not only that, John, but it wasn't like, hey, I'll send you a private jet, come up and stay with our wife in the log cabin. It wasn't that. Like He was going to events with nothing where Republicans at and Republican officials and Republican judges at. Like he wasn't going to uh, a buddy's house for a sleepover. He was going to places where there's many people around him who are trying to influence him. And I'll tell you what, John, just human nature. You might go into it saying, well, I'm not going to treat this person every differently, but it's impossible when they've treated you so nicely not to treat him any differently. Not only that, John, but he clearly has a history of not being objective. His wife was involved in January 6th and he won't recuse himself. Like, if he has a history of saying, hey, you know what, I know this person, I'll recuse myself from this case, but he's not doing that stuff. So um, you, you hit it on the, on, on the head right there, right? It's like, it's just infuriating. I don't know if this will change. The Senate wants to pass a bill um, to help uh, not curb this behavior, but to be more transparent about this behavior. I think there should be a rule. Um, I think we have to, I think the entire Supreme Court needs changing at this point. Um, it should be four-year term, or when the, when the president um, assigns you, you should be able to just stay when his term is up, and then the next person should be able to name him. I'm not sure how to work this, but 
it's pretty clear to me that this system is no longer working if it ever worked and we need to change it at this point. Yeah. It, uh, it's, 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 it's infuriating. It's challenging. It makes you, you know, it's, it's why, you know, you and I are obviously, uh, involved. We care, we're engaged, but it's also the type of thing that in my opinion, breeds the cynicism. You know, I get really upset when everyone says, or when people say everyone's corrupt. Um, the reason why it incenses me is because you realize that if you believe everyone's corrupt, then you don't necessarily make it a priority or do anything about corruption, right? You just kind of resign to being everyone being corrupt, so there's no point in fighting. Um, and I really think that we have to get out of that mindset. And so one of the things that I think, you know, really has to happen is people start holding folks accountable. And I don't know what it is. And let's be honest, to your point about how we handle that, it's tough because, first of all, the way you would get rid of Clarence Thomas is he has to be first impeached by the House, right? And remember, impeachment is strictly an indictment. The current House under Republican leadership is not going to do it. Secondly, after he's impeached, then he has to be removed, and that happens in the Senate. By 60, there has to be at least 67 votes in the Senate. You and I both know there's not 67 votes in the Senate to remove them. So, you know, I don't, I mean, maybe, you know, I'm not sure, you know, if, if there's anything, you know, it's ethically questionable. I'm not sure if there's anything legally questionable that would get him in trouble, but he can do what he wants. He's, he, he, he literally is an emperor in this particular situation. But, um, you know, one place where that's not the case is in state-level Supreme Courts. And this week in Wisconsin, um, which was a very important case, and just so you know, in addition to the Chicago mayoral race, there was a very important uh, election in Wisconsin about the state Supreme Court, which would change the balance, where you would have, um, uh, there was definitely a, a person on the left running against a person on the right, and whoever won would control the balance of the court. And fortunately for us, the Democrat won. And, you know, there's a number of cases, uh, voting rights, abortion, that are in front of the Wisconsin court that now we believe really helps. And I, I think what's fascinating is I know that some Republican said that by the uh, with the Democrat winning uh, in Wisconsin or the liberal, the person on the left winning, uh, that their chances of winning uh, Wisconsin have gone through the window. Now, just so you know, if your chances of winning a presidential race in a particular state is based upon the makeup of that Supreme Court, you're not really trying to win the presidential race. You're just trying to use some backhanded tactics to go ahead and get your person installed. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was Charlie Quirk, but if someone, someone in that world... Was it Alexander? It, it might have been, been Ali yes. Alexander. Yeah, it might have been, yeah. But I, I took that as he didn't mean Wisconsin. I thought he meant the whole race, right? He said, I don't see a path to victory in 24 because we lost this race. Um, first of all, I want to shout out to state Democrats. For years, John, even before we started this pod, or even as we started this pod, we said Democrats just cannot win local important races, and it always hurts us. And here we are in 2018, 2020, 2022, special elections. 
we are winning races at the state level. Michigan completely flipped, right? Arizona's almost completely flipped, right? Here we are in Wisconsin winning a race. And I just want to shout out to, to Democrats who are getting the job done across the country. Republicans believe that their path is narrower and narrower every single year because the electorate is changing against their favor. So they need Supreme Courts. They need school boards. They need election officials. Their hope with Arizona wasn't that the governor would be red. It was that Kerry would just give them the election when the time came or the state legislator would give them the election when the time came. So I just want to shout out to, I don't know. I just, I'm taking this in the positive and that shout out to Democrats and democratic voters who are realizing what's at stake here, who are showing up to vote in special elections on a random March Easter weekend in Chicago or in Wisconsin or across the board. Um, Republicans are in trouble across just all over this country. And um, I don't know. It feels like they have, John, it feels weird. It feels like they haven't won an election since 2016. Is that, does that does you feel that or is that just me? Well, no, I feel it, but it but see, but it also goes back to what you're saying about Democrats winning state elections. I think one of the things that we as Democrats have to do is we also have to take our victories. And this, I sound like a broken record. I've said it before. Um, it's kind of like being a Chicago sports fan. Um, the Bears haven't been to the Super Bowl since 2006. Cleveland hasn't been to the Super Bowl, right? Um, you know, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars ain't been to the Super Bowl, right? Uh, the Houston Texans ain't never been to the Super Bowl. What do I mean by that? Um, what oftentimes happens is that as Democrats, we continue to talk about, oh, we lose, we lose, we lose. The Republicans have not won a special uh, won the popular vote in a presidential race since 2003 and it was only i mean 2002 and um i'm sorry 2004 Four. i yeah, corrected yeah. 2004 but even before that they they lost in 2000 they lost in 96 they lost in 92 um so but then we always talk about that we we've got to change frames and you're right. We need to celebrate these victories, but we also have to realize that we're winning, you know, throughout the, you know, everywhere. And so one of the things that should should definitely be happening is we double down. Um, I think we're, you know, as we wrap down this episode, we're going to go back to where we started. To your point about winning at the state level, it starts with going ahead and seizing and bottling the energy we're getting out of Tennessee and utilizing it. You know, believe it or not, and you're going to crack up. So we just finished the mayoral race in in Illinois. We finished a bunch of municipal races, by the way. For those of you who are paying attention, I ran for uh, a village trustee in my village, and it looks like I'm going to win. I'm winning. I'm just waiting for mail votes to come in. But petitions in Illinois, believe it or not, hit the streets in less than 150 days. Less than 150 days. We are, think about it, by late August, early September in Illinois, and I'm assuming that it might be in other states, we will be putting petitions on the streets to get candidates on the ballots. Now, you don't put petitions on the streets in August and September and just decide you're running for office on August 1st. This is going to start now. It's going to start, so start organizing Start going ahead and finding the candidates. One, if you are concerned about being a candidate, and just trust me, 
you don't have to run for Congress or state houses. Um, in Illinois, um, everything else, everything at the municipal level is going to be an odd number year. But in many states, you're, you know, you can run for city council, you can run for school board, you can run for township, all of that stuff, you know, find out what's going on in your neck of the woods and either decide, hey, I'm going to run for something or find out who is considering running. Help them build their organizations, help them organize. Because by Memorial Day, believe it or not, You've really got to start doing things. You've got to start building your organization. You've got to start raising money. You've got to start going ahead and seeking endorsements and meeting with elected officials. So going back to what uh, Fadi was saying about at the state level and everything else, people, get ready. 2024 is here. You know, one of the advantages I have working for a member of Congress in the House of Representatives is I see it all the time. I know that there's really no off time. Literally, think about it. The election, I don't get a full year off. The election was in November. You had municipal races. So we're, you know, whether it's my running or us helping other candidates, and then all of a sudden now this, the, the municipal races are over, and we're now getting ready. And the whole time, we're actually raising money for ourselves, raising money for other candidates, talking to other candidates, taking meetings with other candidates. So just realize that politics and 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 I and you know maybe politics has gotten a bad name, but the political process, let's use that, is a 24-7, 365 thing. And that's why many people make their living. But more importantly, uh, those of us who are just supporters, volunteers, um, interested observers, you know, don't sleep because uh 2024 is here and we gotta get to work. Yeah, it, it feels it feels interesting, John, because as you know, Chicago is trying to get the convention, the convention, Republican conventions in Milwaukee. Um, that's coming up, right? The primary on the Republican side is coming up. I it was so interested to see what happens. We're such in a crazy time that I wonder if it kind of evens out. But I want to tell you a story to kind of reiterate what you're saying. I got a call this week from a volunteer who was phone banking for a candidate here in Chicago, the mayoral race. I won't say who, but... Um, I enjoy talking to them. Let's just say that. And a lot of people who get those calls are just like, no, I'd take me off the list, blah, blah, blah. And this person calls me and I said, and they said, we hope to have your support for candidate X. And I said, everybody in this house voted for candidate X. I appreciate you volunteering. I know you guys have a tough time and I know you guys um, have a tough week ahead of you, but I wanted to appreciate you and, and for calling this person was very appreciative. We talked for about 25 minutes. I probably wasted her time. She could have been calling other people because she happened to live in the ward that I was living in and our aldermanic race went to our runoff as well. And we were just talking and a lot of politics, John, and you know this better than anyone. A lot of politics is those volunteers, right? People who are phone banking, text banking, showing up to Iowa two years early, getting to know the community. Um, that's what I really love about politics is it seems so far away. It seems like a rural com community in Kansas or a south side of Chicago. It doesn't affect us. But in reality, like it's all connected. And if we just paid attention a little bit more year round, daily, if we just paid attention a little bit more, I understand everybody's tired. Everyone has their own life. If we just paid attention a little bit more, we could really put the country, cities, communities in better shape. And so um, I feel confident in what we've been able to do since 2016. Um and we just have to continue to stay vigilant every single day. 
Yes. So for now, we crammed a lot in. We missed a lot. But uh, we have to cut it through. I've got a full day ahead of me. I'm sure Fadi's got a full day ahead of him. So for now, this is John signing off. And this is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us. Guys. Oh.